So my camera is. You are. You're good. <laughs> so, yeah. so thanks so much for joining me uh, today to share your story about Annabelle's mac and cheese. Um, this is going to okay. be a series of um, interviews that I do over the course of the month of January and February as we celebrate Black History Month. And it's my hope that we can inspire the next generation of um, of people to, um, you know, take their their prized uh, recipes and their um, wonderful history and culture and and be able to share it with our communities um, and to spread the word about Annabelle's. Absolutely. Thank you. <clears throat> about Annabelle. I want to know more about Annabelle, your great grandma, right? Absolutely. She's my great grandma. I grew up cooking with her. She is from South Boston, Virginia. We're from South Boston, Virginia, which is a very, very small town in the southern part of Virginia. About 5,000 people in terms of population in the city, uh, within the uh, county of Halifax. It's, um, you know, down on, it's a tobacco country. Um, so we grew up hunting, fishing, farming, um, you know, just doing things you do in the country. And Granny Bell was a matriarch of the family. Um, they had a farm before I was born. Um, they had sold the farm by the time I came around. Um, and she lived in the town itself. Um, and she had three children. Uh, one, um, she had a son that was the oldest. She had a middle age, a middle child that was a daughter. And then her youngest daughter was my grandmother, uh, Florence. And unfortunately, Florence passed um, the year before I was born. So I never got a chance to meet my actual grandmother. So my great grandmother played kind of a dual role. You know, she was both my grandmother and my great grandmother. And um, because my mom divorced my father when I was uh, when she was still pregnant with me, um, I sort of really grew up with great grandma with, with Annabelle. Uh, I spent a lot of time. My mom was working a lot and I spent a lot of time at my great grandmother's house. And um you know, we cooked together. Um, we 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 farmed together. We we, <laughs> as a child, she had me out there in the garden, whether I wanted to be there or not. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we we processed chickens. We, um, you know, we had the cow. Her cow was it was literally in the lot next door to the house. Um, so yeah, we spent a lot of time together. That's amazing. And was this in the what year? What year was this? So I was born in 68. So this was this was like 71, 72, 73 time frame that, you know, that I began to really remember her um, when I was three, four or five years old. And um, yeah, we used to spend time sitting outside at night catching um, lightning bugs and in a jar and just doing the things you do in the country because it wasn't it was only three TV channels. And I don't even know if we got those TV channels very clear. Right. <laughs> and it were, they were in, even in color, right? They were all black and white, probably at that point. They're all black and white. And frankly, I don't rem I remember her maybe having a TV, but I never remember watching TV at our house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> how did you get from from this kind of experience growing up to um, kind of starting your own business, you know, around the recipe? Well, one, because of my mom being a single mom, I actually started cooking when I was about five at home by myself because I was a latchkey kid before latchkey kids had a, had a name for itself. Um, and then I and the men in my family also cooked, which was a little odd because I grew up in a place where, you know, for the most part, men just didn't cook. Um, and the men in my family did. My grandfather cooked, my mom's um, dad, because his, his wife had passed. And so he cooked. Um, my uncles cooked. Uh, my great grand, my grandfather, my dad's my grandfather's side cooked. I mean, so it was pretty much every man I knew could cook. And um, so it wasn't as strange for me to learn how to cook. 
Um, and then being next to my great grandmother, being in the kitchen with her wasn't that strange either. Um, and so that, that sort of imparted on me the idea of, you know, <clears throat> people talk about fresh foods and organic and farm to table and all those kinds of things. You know, it's just where we grew up. Um, you know, we I, I went to the hog pen with my uncles and, you know, we processed pigs. Uh, we went hunting um, and, you know, we killed rabbits and squirrels and they, they killed deer. I wasn't big enough to kill a deer back when I was a little little child. But, um, yeah, we grew up with uh, with all kinds of wild game meat. And, um, you know, our sausages were made from the sausage of the hogs that we raised. Our, uh, you know, our, our eggs came from the egg from the chickens that uh, my great grandmother was uh, was had in uh, in the chicken coop across the uh, the little, little road from our house. So she had we had probably four or five acres of land around her house um, in that town, uh, which was a lot of land for, to be inside of a city. And we're not a city, but you're inside of a town. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we just grew, just grew up with a taste for fresh food. And then you went from, and I know that this is, you have another job, <laughs> but a whole nother career, right? Um, so how, what role does Annabelle's play in kind of in your life today? Annabelle is my passion project. Um, so in college, I had a friend of mine named Chris Cooming. So Chris, one day I was on campus, he was a graduate student. I was still an undergrad. Uh, I was at George Mason at the time. And, um, Chris said to me one day, he said, if you ever want to figure out if you want to do something, do it for free. So that idea kind of stuck with me because in college, I cooked all the time. And uh, friends said, oh, you should be a chef. You should be a chef. But I was an engineer. I was majored in I was uh, ultimately got a degree in system engineering from undergrad. And then I came down to Atlanta, went to Georgia Tech and got another, another got a master's degree in system engineering. But that passion for cooking was still there. I was always cooking uh, for parties and friends and what have you. And I decided to volunteer. I, I took a real job at the time, what would you call a real job, working for a defense contractor. Um, but I made a deal with them that said, on Tuesdays, I'm going to leave work early and I'm going to go volunteer at a restaurant called Bacchanelli when they were back in Buckhead. And so I volunteered there um, on Tuesday afternoons and evening. Ultimately, figured out I didn't want to be a chef because the hours sucked, the pay sucked, the sort of time to, to go from grunt to actually being important was a, was a really long pathway. And it was crazy. It was, it was absolutely nothing what you would expect sitting in a dining room was happening in the kitchen. It was pure pandemonium and chaos in both their kitchen and other kitchens I volunteered at. And not specifically the Bacchanel, it was just the, 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 the sort of um, kitchen environment was crazy. And, um, but I learned a lot. I learned, um, I learned a lot of techniques. Um, I, my appreciation for food grew. Uh, and my respect for what it takes to get food or from the kitchen to the table really grew. Um, so that passion for cooking, I didn't want to lose it. And um, and so I knew that if I just went off on that chef path, I would lose that passion. But Chris's point was right. If you want to figure out if you want to do something, do it for free. You'll figure out the depth of your, your passion. And for me, um, it I decided to preserve my passion for, by not turning into a chef. But the idea never left me. So after years and years in corporate America, both working in corporate and then I started a tech company back in 2007, I decided that, hey, I, um, I'm i kind of sick of corporate America. Um, you know, I'm working for a bunch of Fortune 500 companies, you know, doing a lot of fire drill work. I, I work in an area called software performance engineering, which is about making software fast and reliable. So the issues with healthcare.gov where nobody can get on the system, we work on, we've worked on those kind of problems for major airlines, major banks and, and the like. But it's always the same. It's kind of like jumping out of a plane with a with a with a fire with a parachute on and going into a blazing inferno fire and trying to put it out. Um, and oftentimes, just because of the nature of how corporate works, 
the thank yous are relatively sparse, but the work is incredibly grinding. Um, I was going to Peachy Road Farmer's Market um, on Saturdays. It's just kind of a respite away from, you know, like a lot of folks just go there just to kind of decompress and 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 as much as buy food. And um, I would sit through the chef demo every Saturday and it just started, it started hitting me that, hey, I've got this mac and cheese recipe that I, I have a lot of things, but the mac and cheese was one particular popular thing that I would make at the house. I approached the market manager and I said, hey, we got this mac and cheese that um, that people love. Can I try it out here for Christmas, for Thanksgiving and Christmas? And we did. And we sold out. So at that point, this was in 2018. I said, I think we may have a business here. So try to so continue to um, build that business. Reached out to friends I knew in the, in the restaurant industry, Brian Furman over at Bees Crackling, um, you know, because he, you know, barbecue and mac and cheese is a natural thing. And Brian let me set up a pop up over there. Candace, who had a thing called Little Tart, I'm not Little Tart, I'm sorry, uh, Tart Queen, Queen of Tarts, or she's no longer has a business, so I forget the name, but she at one time was a vendor at um, Peachy Road, and so did some pop ups. And um, started selling mac and cheese at the farmer's market, but primarily it was friends supporting the business because I didn't have a clue about anything around how do you create a food product designed to go, uh, you know, to be packaged as a commercial product. So my, I never forget my first deliveries were, they look crazy, um, you know, using just pans that I would buy at the grocery store, wrapping things in aluminum foil and plastic wrap because I had a vacuum sealer, but the but the pans didn't quite all all the pans didn't quite fit correctly. And it, it was just it was a huge learning curve. But um, you know, the the product itself was in one area that 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 wasn't the problem. Um, because I had spent 20 years, you know, really honing the recipe. Um, and so I was using super high quality milk and cream and cheese and pasta. Um, and then as I started to scale up commercially, you know, I partnered up with a farm down in Slocum, Alabama, where I could get, you know, enough of the quality of cream and milk that mimic what my great grandmother had with her cow next door. And from a pasta standpoint, I knew that through a lot of trial and error, the pastas that I was able to get, get in, at least in quantity here, uh, U.S. made wasn't um, matching what what I grew up with and remember the texture and the taste being like as a child. Um, so ultimately, Sutton on some pasta out of Italy where it was organic and it just had the the right texture and mouthfeel and, and flavor, um, along with the fact that it wasn't adulterated like the so much of the pasta that we so much of the wheat that we grow here. Um, and then, of course, English cheddar was something she used. So the recipe itself worked. Um, people responded. I mean, we would. Every time I was at farmer's market, it was extremely popular with folks. Um, and then ultimately somebody approached, one of the vendors actually approached me and said, hey, we'd like to see you try to carry it in your, I'd like to carry your mac and cheese in our store. Again, didn't have a clue <laughs> where to go with that other than say yes. Uh, and packaging was not up to snuff. I mean, the first packaging we put in the stores, it looked, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. Um, but you know, through tastings, people would buy the product, and um, and just because of just having a, a good, um, I'd say a good number of just great friends around me, ultimately people would, you know, they would step in and say, "Hey, Kevin, I think you should try this. You should try that." And in particular, I had a guy who I had known professionally who was in marketing uh, who came to me one day. He happened to run into me at another farmer's market up in Ackworth, and he said, "Hey, you know, you should come sit down and have drinks, and we should talk about." marketing and then through that conversation um 
he put me on with a company out of called ID8 out of Marietta, where we really nailed the packaging. And and even before that, I'd actually run into a lady who was a former Apple employee over at one of our partners, Spotted Trotter. And um, she had started me on a path of really sort of understanding how to develop packaging um, that would, you know, appeal to people in the commercial setting. Yeah. And so, and as you know, our packaging has changed quite a bit yes. and the packaging is making a huge difference in sales. That's amazing. Let's go back to ingredients for a minute, um, because I, I one of the things that I thought was amazing about your story when I first met you was was your attention to detail. Um, and one of the things that we we do at Nuts and Berries is talk a lot about ingredients and the concept of non-GMO and organic. Um, do you have a, a, a an ingredient standard that you that you set uh, for your company? And and you know why why did you kind of go down that road? Yeah, that's a great question. Number one, I won't make anything. I won't sell anything I wouldn't serve inside of my own house. And I only use as best I can things that are locally grown, organic, non-GMO, grass-fed. I mean, that's been a standard of mine for long before the terms themselves even had terms. Um, going back to when I was cooking, even in college, I would just try to seek out the best ingredients I could get on what I could afford. But this, again, t- ties back to what I grew up with. You know, and there was a, there was a, you know, we grew up with vegetables that were grown right there in the garden and then they had a different taste. Tomatoes tasted differently. Yeah. Uh, tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's just personal with me. And, um, and I truly, I, I, I fundamentally think that it, uh, it has an impact on our health long-term. I have, I've been blessed to travel to 26 countries and a lot of countries where I go into and, uh, for example, I was in Tanzania uh, a couple of years ago, and I was just marveling at all the grass-fed meat that was just out there. I mean, this was nothing, nobody's doing anything special, just literally millions of herds of grass-fed animals just roaming that were being herded, and they were being used for food and for and for fuel and other things. Um, and I often say that people in some of the poorest places or places that aren't as fortunate financially as we are in America often eat much better than we do here, uh, because it takes a lot of wealth to eat well here. Um uh, and that bothers me. Um, and so from a mac and cheese standpoint, I made a decision, obviously, that we weren't going to compromise, no matter how big we get, um, that that's just who we are. And we talk about it very openly about the fact that we use, you know, non-GMO grass-fed organic milk and cream and organic noodles from Italy and aged cheddar and all that kind of stuff. And we'll get questions sometimes when people say, is your great-grandmother have all that? And I like to remind them that, so, well, my great-grandmother's cow was next door. Um so yes, she had the same kind of dairy. And your um, groomer didn't have to worry about GMOs. <laughs> we don't grow wheat at, at scale like there was in her time. We the wheat we wheat formulas have changed. I mean, you know, there's a there's a price to pay for commodization and for driving food down to close to zero um, and making it so that it, I, it, I understand the balance of hunger. I mean, you know, there's a lot of there was a lot of politics in the 60s and 70s designed to to sort of eradicate hunger in this country. I get that part of it. Um, but as, as with many systems, oftentimes things need to be imp- continued to be improved upon. And I don't think we've, we we're taking that seriously enough. We saw this during COVID. We saw that fact that having three or four choke points for major food systems was causing huge disruptions in the supply chain. Uh, I had actually was at a local food conference probably about a year or so before COVID and just talking about what are my personal beliefs. And I said, you know, one of the things I, I think we need to they were asking me about Annabelle going national. And I said, well, you know, personally, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with building Annabelle as a, as a regional business. Um, there needs to be more Annabelles across the country, not just one Annabelle uh, within the country. And, um, and, that, and, and I still hold that belief today. I think that, you know, the, regardless of how big Annabelle gets, uh, that we will always be a 
local regional business, even if there's multiple Annabelles in other parts of the country, um, because uh, just the idea of having redundancy and resiliency in our food system um, creates security. And, um, and, you know, nobody wants to go through what we went through during COVID from a supply chain standpoint. Right. And I think right. there's, there's, a, there's a little bit more seriousness about we got to fix this. And um, that's going to take a while because farmers and the, and, and, the, and the logistics infrastructure is just not there to really feed us like we like like I was talking about in Tanzania. Um, I mean, we're, we're pushing our dairy farmers about as hard as as they can get now um, with with our current production. So um, I, I know that um, this is a problem that we've got to invest in and work on. And it's one that I think is, is, is in the interest of the country itself. And I think it's everybody's interest of our health. Um, I often say that, you know, uh, you know, we spend one fifth of our economy on, on, on just on our healthcare costs. And that's probably going to be 25% before, before long. And a lot of this, in my opinion, is attributed to just a poor quality of food in which we digest. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, you talked a little bit about COVID, um, what what are some of the biggest obstacles you've had to overcome? Uh, you know, maybe not necessarily with COVID, but in general with Annabelle. And <clears throat> I'll, give you, I'll give you one small one, one that's big, but seemingly small, packaging. When I first tried to improve our packaging, uh, I started trying to buy, find some boxes here made in the U.S. And I couldn't find a box because, uh, that for a dollar or two dollars that looked like anything. And, 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 you know, our, our one pound mac and cheese retails for around 11 to $13, depending on the store, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And to add 20 or 30% cost just for a box that most people are going to throw away, um, just wasn't right. And I couldn't justify it. And I knew it was going to hurt the product, but at the same time, I wasn't going to settle on, um, just an ugly box just to put it in. And I wanted something that fit. I remember I started out working with a young lady from Apple and we all know the standard Apple has about packaging and, 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 and then, you know, moving on to a local company here, ID8, you know, we were, we talked a lot about the story of Annabelle and how important that was to reflect in our packaging. So where all this is going is couldn't go to China where, where most people had would have gone pre COVID to get something done like that. Um, so I ended up in down in the country of Colombia. And so we get our packaging down there made at a price point that doesn't add a tremendous cost to the product. You know, we, we increased our costs both for because of packaging. And then we had some, you know, we had some inflation related costs increases on our on our side from 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 our suppliers. Uh, so we raised our prices a dollar um, and that has not hurt our sales. But if we had gone out there and raised our price three or four dollars um, just to cover the cost of packaging, uh, especially as a nascent business, I think it would have hurt us quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what? You know, knowing that this is your passion project and you do you do have other things, like what are one or two things uh, that you do every day, kind of to help you show up successfully that we can share with our audience? Uh, I'll one of one of the biggest ones for me is is what we do on social media. Um, like today, I'm doing a delivery, and um, I always take videos, and you know this. I take videos of, every, of all of our deliveries, and I don't just focus on, you know, hey, I got Annabelle here. I'm putting it in the, in the cold case. Um, I focus on the store because my belief is is that, you know, our goal is to drive traffic to the stores. You know, I always kind of liken us to Coke 
in, in, in a sense that, hey, no gas station is going to open up without Coke or some other comparable soda and chips in their stores because they know that people are going to stop and pick those up and whether they get gas or not. And I want Annabelle to be a driver to traffic in our retail partners. So um, I always make sure we take videos and I post those videos up on our social media. And, I, and, I, and again, I, I try to focus on the broader scope of what the store's got going on, what's hot, what's new in the store, in addition to the fact that we're doing a delivery. The other side of the house is our is our customer testimonials. So whenever I'm, I'm always collecting customer testimonials and I, and I dribble those out through our social media to, 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 to let our customers tell the story about Annabelle, as opposed to me standing there saying, hey, I make this great thing. You should try it. I let our customers speak for us. So those are things that um, I do. I spend a tremendous amount of time on. That's amazing. And and we, as uh, you know, your customer appreciate that, or as your, uh, as your, as your partner in, in, you know, the sales appreciate that. And so do, so do our customers, you know, I think that, um, you know, they can go and, and look at your social media and see what other people are saying, you know, even if they haven't had a chance to buy it and, you know, we hope that um, that this this little interview and talk, we can share your story and and continue to kind of build that um, that that audience so that we can we can reach more people. We can get them a very good, delicious, high quality, nutritious food that is their comfort food. You know, I you know I believe that when you're uh, so many people, macaroni and cheese is their favorite, you know, is their thing. That's, that's their, you know, they remember it. And I even remember it from when I was a kid, you know, homemade macaroni and cheese. Um, and now a lot of people equate macaroni and cheese with the big box, you know, that you get it in and not naming any brands, um, which the quality is not so good. The ingredients are really not good. Um, and there are, are GMOs um, in, in those, in those boxed, um, many of the box brands and um, you know, I think that that it's become a staple in people's diet if they could just experience the quality and the and the taste of your product that would be an amazing uh, upgrade uh, to their daily routine um and you know they would potentially you know spark some joy that maybe a box doesn't spark um so yeah you, well there's a couple of things you said there that, that that resonates with me one is children right so when i first started annabelle i wasn't sure children were going to respond well because of the big box the blue box and, and stuff that they're just used to having out of a microwave and, and and whatnot and we have got a remarkably success rate with children 85 plus percent of the kids who ever try our product love it we've even had children have used it as their birthday cake so um <clears throat> what i love about that is not just hey we're selling mac and cheese but the fact that my hope is that the kids themselves will start to develop a palate for both quality and ask questions about their food sources. So, yeah. you know, hey, ask where the hot dog's coming from. Where's that pizza coming from? Where's where are those nuggets coming from? You know, just just begin to ask because kids are kids are inquisitive, right? Um, so once the theme sort of resonates with them, they take that theme and just keep going with it. And so I'm hoping that we help influence, you know, the types of questions that children ask about their food. So that's one of the things. Um, the other thing is is that. Mac and cheese is probably not probably it is one of the few truly American foods. It's not something that came over from another country and and we adopted. It's something that was developed here. Um, it was developed by James Hemings, who was Thomas Jefferson's slave chef. Um, so Mr. Hemings went to France, studied culinary, came back to Monticello and developed mac and cheese there. So it's an American product. And um and it's, you know, obviously one of the biggest comfort foods and most popular foods we have in our in our diet. And um, 
and so I love the fact that this is truly an American product. And and my great grandma and I, we grew up in Virginia. I don't think my great grandmother knew Mr. Hemmings at all, but <clears throat> I do say that things are passed orally, um, and that there is an influence he had on just what she created. For me, we there's a through line from him to where we are today through um, the civil rights movement because. The hotel where we make our mac and cheese, or our kitchen is inside of a hotel in downtown Atlanta, the Hyatt. The Hyatt adopted us in, in the height of COVID because of all the capacity that they had. Uh, it turns out that particular Hyatt uh, is called the Hotel of Hope because it was the first hotel that Dr. King and the other civil rights leaders could host any events at here in the South. And so John Portman, who built the hotel, uh, welcomed Dr. King at the hotel, uh, and it became the, the hotel that civil rights leaders, even to this day, continue to host events at it has um in the hotel um the dr king and and mrs king suite which has a lot of their wedding memorabilia so when you look at sort of as an african-american business owner i think about that through line from uh, mr hemmings developing one of the few truly american foods um the fact that you know as african-americans we were the cooks in america up until the 70s uh dr king and so rights movement the fact that we're back at the hotel that um, sort of of, you know, was ground zero for the civil rights movement in the South, and um, and that we're building a product for the 21st and 22nd generation there that hopefully has a positive impact on you know both food and diet and health and 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 commerce in America. So um, that's you know, for- Kevin, that is that makes me like that makes me so happy. That just sings to my heart. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you. I uh, I think that. Um, energy and love uh, goes into our food. And I think that's one of the things that's missing in our food. And so when I hear that story, you know, it makes me excited to, to, you know, enjoy a plate of macaroni and cheese beyond just the, you know, it tastes good, but more of that, it, it, it nourishes our soul, which I think is what's so needed in our world today. Um, so I'm gonna ask you one more thing, and then we can wrap up. Um, it's been wonderful. What what advice do you have for an aspiring entrepreneur? Capital. Um, it is the thing that small businesses and in particular businesses of color and women-owned businesses um, uh, don't do enough of is raise capital. Um, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm, I'm sitting on the board of a, of a technology um, accelerator. And we have this conversation all the time. We bootstrap too long. Um, and we don't grow our businesses fast enough. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out to the markets and 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 start, you know, giving up equity in the early stages of your business to raise capital. It can mean traditional things like taking on business loans and 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 getting credit cards and and just really building a true business, as opposed to using your receipts that you bring in from sales to try to purchase a vehicle or purchase materials and what have you. It just takes too long. It can take twenty years to build a business that way. Um, oftentimes, um, other businesses that, that, that have become, can be successful within seemingly overnight because they raise enough capital. Um, and that's something that, uh, I know we're struggling with. I'm struggling with it in my business. Um, and it's something that I've had to, to, to I didn't do well in my tech company because my tech company, you know, we were blessed to have some really big customers coming out of the gate and I treated it just like I would treat anything else. I was, I didn't want to have debt in my business. I just wanted to run a cash-only business, and that's not the right way to run a business. You, you, you know, debt is your friend when it comes to building a company, um, and you've got to be able to raise capital. That's really good. That's really good advice, and I think that that's something that, um, you know, myself included, so many of us small businesses don't really um, 
don't don't always get right away. You have to learn the hard way, and that sometimes that it, I think that's one of the reasons why so many small businesses struggle and and don't make it. Um, so you know, one of the one of the wonderful things that I'm I'm doing with I'm speaking with many many different um, creators in this space is um, you know my hope is is that after I go through and I learn all the stories and you know do all the fun things and share the stories and you know sample out the products and all that stuff that we can really come together as a community to to advance that next generation of, of small business you know owners and and passion uh, you know passion people. So that we can we can build a future for you know our our kids. My I have an eight year old, so my kids and and you know kids and grandkids and beyond. Um, so that this this concept of the small independent business doesn't have to be a struggle; it can be a celebration. Absolutely, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, you know, in my uh, email I sent to you, I, I said if you have anything that you want to ask me. Um, I'll give you an opportunity to do that if, if there's anything you want to share with your community about nuts and berries. Well, I love your store. Um, I love the fact that you guys have been in the community for a long time. I've been, I, you know, I remember passing your store for a long time before I stopped in. And when I first time I walked in here, I was like, man, this is a cool store. Yeah. And, and I've watched you guys evolve. Um, and I just, you know, we don't have a, enough independent stores like yours in Metro Atlanta. And I'm, I'm a, that's, you know, you're the, you're the perfect target for us. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I encourage, I encourage people to come hang out and check out the store to shop in the store. I encourage folks, you know, vendors like mine to, uh, to seek you guys out as potential partners. Um, so yeah, I think you guys are doing it right. And um, so thank you. Well, we appreciate you. And thank you, Kevin. Have a wonderful day. And I'm looking forward to celebrating all next month um, with a lot of uh, fun and educational information and kind of meeting all the new uh, kids on the block in the community too. So um, Absolutely. Um, off off topic slightly. Um, so the Hyatt on the 17th, and, and, and I'm going to send a note over to Chef if you're open to this. He, um, they're inviting um, Black vendors from all over the country to come um, to a vendor uh, event on the 17th at the hotel. And they're going to have not only Hyatt, but Marriott, Sheraton, all the big hotel brands, Hilton, um, plus other folks in the hospitality industry. And uh, he asked me who to, who I recommend, and I recommended a few black vendors, but also some of the, our retail partners here in Atlanta, um, because it would be a chance for you to get exposed to products that maybe you're not currently carrying in your stores you might be interested in. Um, he's going to have some great winemakers there. He's going to have obviously a lot of great food folks there. Uh, some brands that you've heard of, like Uncle Nearest. Um, and McBride Sisters and Lafitte on the wine side, and then maybe some that you haven't heard of, um, like Cornbread Sisters is a brand new business. I, you may have heard of them because of their partnering with um, yeah. Yeah. Super Genius. But yeah, he's going to have a, a wide variety of uh, different vendors there. And um, I know that they want to get as many buyers in the room as possible who might potentially be able to create business opportunities for these businesses. So really? if you're open to it, I will send an email to Chef and suggest that he invite you guys. Oh, that would be amazing. I would absolutely love to be there. I know one of the things we just started doing was carrying wine at our uh, store in Brookhaven. And um, we, you know, we've struggled a little bit out the gate, you know, with um, being able to find all of the local, you know, wine manufacturers. And, you know, one of the things that like I I try to pride myself on is, is having a, a very diverse group of suppliers. And so, um, you know, I, I, it just so happens that February is Black History Month. So that's the month where I'm really like, okay, let me see if I can find all the, you know, the cool new Black-owned businesses that I don't have and that I don't hear about. And a lot also because then, you know, as we roll out new vendors, we can, um, 
we can talk about them more. And like I found a, a local, uh, there's a bunch of different uh, coffee uh, companies, but I found a really, really um, cool story from the West End, a new company that hopefully we're going to be introducing. Um, and, and, you know, they just have, they have a, they have a, an amazing vision that's very similar to this and that they're highlighting other, other local artists that are in their community. And, and for me, I think that's, you know, that's so, so important in our, you know, our very connected age that if we can um, lift each other up um, through our marketing, rather than just constantly talking about a product, 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 or a sale or something like that, I think the stories are really what um, make our community so special. And I think that, you know, I'd love to be able to um, find some new wonderful brands and even just, you know, talk, talk to the people that are there and, and, you know, yeah, that'd be amazing. So thank you. All right. You're welcome. We're definitely, I'll, I'll send it over. Awesome. And and if you're ever looking to do some pairing with Annabelle and wine, it's uh, we've done a few of those. We've done them down at Serenby. We did one at, uh, <clears throat> we've done it with three parks wines over on the, over on uh, uh, East Atlanta. Um, because you know mac and cheese and actually the best wine song in the city um uh we've done it at, at floral park and the best wine song we were doing a tasting there he said yeah on monday i'm, I'm taking your mac and cheese because he loves our mac and cheese i mean he said i'm taking it over to a, a tasting that they were doing with all the bunch of all the high-end on songs throughout the city and he was looking forward to having annabelle you know kick some butt there so well, that sounds awesome so that's a and i love that idea so I'm all so I love it. I love it. So wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin, so much. And I'm um, looking forward to uh, selling some mac and cheese and having everybody sample it out and, and having everybody hear about your story. So I appreciate right. it. Take thank care. You. Yes, ma'am. Bye bye. <laughs>